All right, folks, listen, uh, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while. You've been listening to me for a long period of time. And and thank you for listening for a while. And, and I've been having people on that I know that I find interesting. Old friends, talented people, cool people. It has continued. This is an old friend of mine. You, He's been on the show before, but a lot of you new people have never actually heard this gentleman because he came on uh, within the last year or so. So I may have to you know, ask him some stuff that I already asked him before. This is for the old people. This is things that you already know, but I'm going to ask a couple of things uh, for the new people. Good friend of mine, act, comedian, actor, radio host, podcaster, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Cooper. What's up, Steve? Thanks for having me on. That'll be five dollars. <laughs> exactly. You can, get, you can pay the tolls next time I drive you to a gig. <laughs> Now, for those of you listening, uh, obviously, some of the older people uh, who've been listening, you know who Steve Cooper is. The new people, uh, Coop and I have known each other since uh, 86. Um, so he knew me when I was 17 years old and he was already 50. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as he was he was as he was alluding to, uh, as the kid of the of all the our comic friends, he was one of my uh, older brothers uh, in comedy, and I used to ride with him to gigs on a, on a regular basis. Uh, and he had this car, the, was it the Pontiac Fiero? Dude, that Pontiac, Pontiac Fiero was, was uh, masterful. But just, I wanted to, I was talking to someone about this today, you'll crack up. I remember I, I drove you to a gig, and I don't know, it was somewhere in Jersey, and I, and I, I picked you up at the Speedline station, mm-hmm. and, we, and we had to stop by my... Uh, parents house or something and you, you sat there when we got in the car and you you were waiting for my mom to offer you milk and cookies because you said i look like i grew up in the cunningham household yeah that sounds like me <laughs> it, it, it was it was really really fun i was waiting for uh i was waiting for the fonds to come out uh <laughs> uh coop, coop grew up in the uh he's like a a father's knows best type, even the neighborhood. I was waiting for somebody to come skipping down and hand me some apples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I think about it now, man. Our house, like, you know, like all our neighbors were there since, I mean, I, I grew up there when I was, we moved there when I was one and a half on the youngest. And, you know, I ran into a guy the other day and he lived two doors down and I was thinking, oh my God, I've known this guy because I'm, I'm 57. I'm, I'm like, I've known this guy for over 55 years mm. and the people are in the neighborhood, they like never moved. They would come in there, they would stay, the kids would go out, we just run around, go crazy, we come home, you know, get our, in the winter, get our tomato soup and grilled cheese and just they'd send us back out mm-hmm. and I don't know what my, the, the, the housewives, because it was all housewives. Most of it was just women. The fathers were out working, and it was just odd. It was an, like looking back at it, like in a neighborhood I live in now is nice. I live in a condo complex, so it's completely different. Like I never see kids outside. You know, that's we were just like we were terrorizing. And I always say the reason no one ever screwed around with any kids like they do now is because if you did, there'd be like fifteen kids climbing in the car and beating the shit out of some pervert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like nobody ever got uh, snatched uh, uh, from my neighborhood either because, quite frankly, you would get about eight feet. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I I went to pick you up and you told me not to pull into your neighborhood because I had that little Pontiac Fiero because you're afraid the car would get stolen or something. So you met me like down the street somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, because the thing is, in my in my neighborhood at the time. And here's the thing. My neighborhood neighborhood wasn't even like the roughest one. Um, and uh, so I was like, dude, you know, no, nah. <laughs> I was like, I said, it was like, 
was like, I said, uh, d- d- just stop right. Because people were like, you trying to hide where you live? I'm like, everybody knows what my address is. I just don't want you dead. Right. <laughs> a white guy with long hair and a little Pontiac Fiero is, is, is mean, is looking for some mean streets when he goes in your hood. I, it would have been kind of like, yo, man, why John Bon Jovi driving you home, man? <laughs> <laughs> he had the earring thing going, too, which was hilarious. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me, please. Don't remind me. I had the earring, and my brother was a jewelry designer, oh. so he made me a little microphone, but it looked like a snow cone. So oh. I looked like... <laughs> like, yeah, what are you, an ice cream man? The hell is that? And I go, no, man, it's a, it's a microphone. Shut the fuck up. I tell you right now, if I, if I, if I get in a situation where I... Uh, uh, if I can go back in time, I'm literally going to go back in time. You're going to go, hey, man, that's you at 52. And I'm going, yeah, I just came back to slap you for that microphone. Come here. <laughs> you just came but back to slap you. Cool yeah. I thought it was cool. And it's funny. I was looking, you had posted some pictures on Facebook. Of, I, I was thinking, of, it was both of us about the stupid ass shirts we would wear. Like, oh like, like, I mean, you know, you had that woman look like, like it looked like, you know, like a Keith Haring, like an, an uncool Keith Haring painting. And I had one that had like white, black with like white big spots. And I'm thinking, what were we thinking? I mean, I, I think about it when we went on stage and that was the look then though. We were, you know, we looked cool to us. And then looking back, I mean, we're like, I'm like, holy shit, you know, with the belt, you pull it over and you loop it under. And I'm like, oh my God, what was wrong with this? I mean, I love the eighties, but there's just some ugly stuff going on. I like the fact that you gave me the benefit of the doubt and said you had one of those. Uh, <laughs> it's like, remember, that's when we started making money, right? So I went, I went to a store and I saw a rack of shirts that I wouldn't wipe my ass with now. And I went, hey, give me like eight of those. Well, Each one uglier than the last one. I used to go whenever there was sales because I remember I would go to uh, Macy's or Wanamaker's, and there was a clothing brand called Genera, and Genera was big for, they had paisley designs and flowers, and if you played your cards right, you could end up getting them for like 45% off, and then if you if you used your card, another 50% off, so I would walk out with all these shirts, and I thought they were the coolest things, even when they had the shirts that looked like the American flag, I think it was, uh, I forget who made it, I don't know if it was Tommy Heffinger or, or one of those things or the structure store. But we would just buy stuff because on stage you wanted to look cool. You know, it's different mm-hmm. now. I mean, I see comics just go up wearing jeans and a shitty t-shirt. I mean, back then mm-hmm. we wanted to look good because I think it gave us a feeling of we were performers because that's what we got into it for, to perform people. And you wanted to look good. And you know it as well as I know. You go to the comedy works at a comedy factory outlet on a weekend, the place is packed. And, you know, mm-hmm. and plus back then, I mean, shit, I was – trying to get laid all the time anyway you know i just wanted to look good and uh it was just it was different you know we, we, we wanted to look good and back then it did look good you know we always got we were both me and you were both very professional and i was talking to someone about that the other day i was talking to rich shiner i met rich shiner mm-hmm. for lunch and i was saying how you know when like me and you when we started doing comedy you know we all we there's a reason we got jobs at the comedy factory outlet because we got um Early, st- we got guaranteed good stage time. We have to go through the goddamn picking out of the hat, going. You might be twenty fifth in front of, you know, a drunk Fred Novak and someone else. And it, we got a good number. You know, you get between like six and ten, and you got seven instead of five. But we also got to see these acts. That were, I remember Tim Allen and Emo and Gilbert and uh, mm-hmm. Dice. I mean, I worked for Dice, my Steve the Sud character. And, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but we got to see these acts. Dom would come in and just Dom would just you know, or Bobby Collins. They would just dominate a room. I mean, mm-hmm. dominate like like they do it with their 
their eyes closed. They could do an hour. Like we were like we were at the point where we probably had seven or ten, but we told everyone we had twenty five until we had a shitty set, and then that went back to seven or ten. And I remember my knee used to shake, and I'd be looking at my clock, going, "Oh my god, when's the, when am I going to get the light?" That is a long. And and I was just talking to somebody else about emo. Um, when emo came to town, it's like you sitting there and you got your little you got your little thirty minutes what it, that you think you have right, and then you watch emo fillers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you watch, like you were saying, you know, um, uh, Chris Rush was another one, um, you know, would come in and it was just like, it was like a metronome. Just like, yeah, and then Chris, Chris Rush would always do that Q&A and he'd smoke in the Q&A. I mean, he'd kill him. He'd kill the crowd in the Q&A. And it was just, I mean, I'm sure, you know, looking back, because we are, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I don't even do it sporadically, but you still, you once you've been on stage and you've done it a lot, you know, looking back, you know, I'm sure... Chris had bits written out that he would do, but that was one thing about being a comic, you know, even with replies to a heckler line, even though you've said it a million times or you did a bit a million times, you always made it look fresh. And that's one mm. thing I learned from watching the acts, you know, I mean, Bobby Collins, so great with the crowd and just this whole, hey, Bobby, Bobby, but he knew how to work to the crowd. So what he, his responses looked like they were fresh rolling off the top of his head. You know what I used to call that? I, when I talked to like younger comics, because I, I did a comedy class, I was teaching a comedy class maybe 10 years ago. And I ref, I referred to it. They were like, how do you do that? And I said, basically, and I said the, the best way to describe it would be the, uh, well, my grandfather used to do card tricks and he showed me a bunch of card tricks. And people were surprised that someone as young as I was could do these card tricks without messing up. And essentially magicians call it forcing a card, meaning I can make you pick well, I can't do it now. It's been a million years, but I could make you pick whatever card I you I wanted you to pick. You had no choice. You're getting an eight of diamonds. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? And so that's after you've acquired the level of skill, you've you've mastered the basic skills of stand up comedian, being a stand up comedian, and you're now able to write jokes and you know how to put a set together. I can make you in as an audience member. I can take you anywhere I want to. I can actually get you to ask the question I want you to ask and lead you wherever I want to go, whatever bit I decide to do. And it looks like, and you know what I'm talking about. You've been doing it for 30 plus years too. It looks like you just came up with that stuff. Now, a lot of times you do ad lib, but there's certain bits you're like, now nah, I'm going to do the bit with the car now. You know, right, <laughs> he, exactly. just, he just kind of shoved them right to the bit with the car. Man, I like the way you came up with that. Yeah. It's not like I wrote that eight months ago. Yeah, I, and, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had an awful joke and it just came to me. I forgot. And and I had a fake laugh. I would go, what kind of car does a gynecologist drive? And I go, a probe. And I do a fake laugh. <laughs> and I did that same fake laugh. I go, <laughs> and it was just, people thought I was just laughing at my own joke, which I wasn't, I wasn't even laughing because after a while I said, this joke sucks. And no one was driving probes anymore. Anyway, younger listeners, that was a car <laughs> back when the Fiero was big, there was a probe and there was a Dodge neon. So there was a bunch of cars that aren't out in the roads. So if you see anyone in those cars run the other way. <laughs> well, yeah. Run, well, you actually can run in front of the car. Cause it ain't like they could catch you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> those cars were horrible. You know, they, they had a they had a Ford Probe GT. I'm going, wow, but it can go 57. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> it, it's so funny. It, it was it was a different time. You know, I mean, it's funny. I, You know, because I was in L.A. for so long when I came back, I, I was in Philly the first time in. And then actually a few about two years ago, um, right before my wedding or a mm. year and a half, buddy of mine who's now no longer with us. I would meet him in Old City and we were walking through Old City from uh, a speed line station. 
Hey guys, I'm at the speed line. And I remember we walked by where the comedy factory outlet was on bank street. And now I think it's a mm. hostel. It's like a youth yeah. hostel. I yeah. didn't, I didn't see what's in chestnut. I don't think the, the middle Eastern restaurant is there anymore. It nope. might be, I don't know what's there. It's like condos or something. It's like apartments or some crap like that. Cause the middle East is funny. It was uh, owned by Jimmy Tyone. And I forgot that until God, 15 years ago when I was in LA, when I was, I was living in Burbank and I walked into mm. the Monte Carlo deli and, and Jay Leno was in there and I go, Oh my God, Jay Leno, how you doing? He goes, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And I said, mm. uh, I said, I used to see you at the comedy works. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah. Jimmy Tyone's place. And I was like, I can't believe he remembered that so much longer <laughs> from when he played. It was just amazing. Places. Well, the thing is, we, I, I think that in many cases, uh, we were kind of spoiled in a way because those rooms are actually a lot better than we thought they were until, you know, you didn't realize that until you went other places and realized, yeah, those rooms are pretty damn good. Well, the, the, <laughs> the Comedy Factory Outlet, in all honesty, was one of the mm -hmm. best rooms because, mm -hmm. you know, on a Saturday night, and then, you know, I, I talked to Clay about this mm -hmm. a while back and mm -hmm. he had said how they built it like a theater with the low ceilings. I mean, when you got that room rolling, you would just, you blow the roof off that room because the roof wasn't that tall, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it encapsulated the laughs. Comedy Works was a great room, but the laughs would float up. They float up in the ceiling. Like you tell a joke because it's such high ceilings, but in the Comedy Factory Outlet, they would get like trapped. And when you had a killer joke and you get that applause break and the, and the, and the killer laughs, it would just force its way like to the stage and you would feel it. I mean, I talk to a lot of musicians on my podcast who talk about the mm -hmm. same thing, you know, when a crowd, when there's, you know, they feel it, you know, when the, when the energy just comes forward and it's like a wall and we both felt that, but it was just a smaller wall. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think cause we were younger, I don't think we appreciated it as much as we should have because, you know, we were doing so much more than other people were doing at that time. You know, we were, I mean, we were out every night, we were performing mm -hmm. every night and, and so many other people weren't, and you can't do that now. You know, I mean, I'm not in the comedy scene anymore, really. But, you know, when I was in L.A., I would go and I would book a show at my friend's Italian restaurant. But I would, you know, it was the same thing. It was like there'd be like 40 acts every night at these shitty coffee shops and expect <laughs> the comics to hang out. Like for us, it's like we don't want to hang out, man. We we, we, got, we can drive to the Northeast and do a set. And no mm -hmm. comic got offended, you know, because there was there was always crowds of like open mic. You think about it, you know, our open mics at the outlet, you would get 35, 45 people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the, the thing that used to crack me up about because, like I said, we get, you kind of got spoiled because, uh, but but also it, it it seemed to me after I after I would go do places outside of especially the CFO, it seemed to be infinitely easier um, the other rooms than the CFO because I know that they they pretty much demanded you to be good, <laughs> you know. In that room, and you go someplace else, they would just hey, let's let's watch a show, hey, yeah, you know, they, they would give you they would give you a few minutes. You didn't you didn't get more than a few seconds at the CFO to, for them to decide whether or not they liked you or not. Oh yeah, it was it was a Philly crowd, you know, and people talk about that about the Philadelphia type crowd, and you know, I I noticed that a lot. Um, I noticed it in sports, you know, because I am a big <laughs> sports fan, and I noticed yeah. you know Philadelphia fans are just you know I'm I'm going to digress here about sports. I'm just going to go off in a second, you know, about. I always said Carson Wentz was was a good quarterback, not a franchise quarterback. Everyone called me mm -hmm. a hater. I wasn't. Said the same thing about Aaron Nola pitching. He's not an ace. He's a good pitcher. You're a hater. Philadelphia fans automatically, if if you do something good, they they canonize you like you're the second coming of the Lord. And I say, mm -hmm. no, man. You know, he he had a good season. That's it. But when you're a comic, it's like 
they they you got to prove yourself. You know, you could have forty good sets in a row, and then they'll see you and you have a crappy set, and they'll go, "Man, I told you the guy wasn't that good." Meanwhile, you know, the <laughs> athletes are screwing up all the time. Wentz and Noel, but everyone's like, "Oh no, it's still great." It was just a different world, man. I I I to be honest with you, because we didn't know any different, uh, <laughs> you know. You just automatically think that's the way it's supposed to be, where you got 10 seconds for them to figure out whether they like you or not. Then you go someplace else and you they give they'll give you like two, three minutes, which I never needed because I'm used to having to make, make my point in 10 seconds. You know, so, you know, well, yeah, it's because it's you're it's because it's an aggressiveness. You know, we, you learn that mm-hmm. aggressiveness, you know, you have to get it. It's like anything, you know, like a, a, a sprinter when they get out of the box, man. If, if, you, if, you, if you don't get out of the box, you're going to lose. But other other places, when you get out, you can get out of the box slow because it's like you're running at 880 or 800 mm-hmm. meters instead of in Philly. You're running 100 meters. So you got to pop it right away. Else they'll be like, screw this. They'll start hackling you. And then, you know, and I know me and you both were at the door. Hell, if you were getting heckled, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to shut someone up. I don't want to see you sweat. Just like you probably want you want to tell someone to be quiet if they're heckling me because you want to see it. You want to see your friend sweat because then you can give him shit later at Nick Swift's feet. Yeah, I, I was, I'll be honest with you. I was waiting for people to heckle me because I was waiting for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, people ask like, you know, well, how do you handle a heckler? Well, you don't. You come to shut the fuck up or you, mm-hmm. if you're nice to him or, you know, the bottom line is people don't understand. You have the microphone. And you're a professional. This is just some idiot who sometimes is probably sitting there because maybe his his girlfriend's laughing at you. And he's like, oh, you know, what the hell? Some dude from South Philly. Like, What's my girlfriend laughing at him for? You know, you know? And, and they don't understand. There's a reason why we're getting paid. There's a reason why you paid money to see us. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to win. And that's what's funny is when people just, you know, son, you know how it is. Some hecklers, they know right off the bat. Some people say it by accident. They heckle and they don't mean it. And then they're cool. Or sometimes they think yeah. they're helping you, which you're like, you know, you're not helping me. I'm a, I'm a professional. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's the ones that don't shut up that you end up, you have to start burying. And, and as you know, if you're good, the whole crowd's with you. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, well, the thing is that you have to be able to, just like anything else, it's like when you're trying to, if you're out there and there's a snake in the, in the, in the grass, you have to be able to figure out, is that a poisonous one? Exactly. <laughs> Does that eat meat? So it's like when they, when they attack, I'm, I'm looking, and if the person's kind of funny, I, I ignore it. Or if, if the audience can't hear, you can look at people's faces and see whether or not they registered what the person said. You may not even have to react to it, you know, or if you let them have you let them heckle just enough to the audience gets annoyed, then you can cut their heads off. And then, you know, and then that's the end of that. But I want to clarify something very, very, very quickly. Um, earlier on, Cooper said something about uh, in the 80s, uh, getting dressed up really well because he wanted to get laid. Uh, I want to say right now that I uh, in this in new society that I want to say right now that. I uh, am still a virgin. Uh, I was uh, pure back then as well. Um, I have never seen a, an adult film, and thank you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> man, I can imagine. I can imagine you back then. The porn collection you had, because you knew Big Nick, and people you don't know Big Nick was this this comic who had like four hundred pounds, and he'd go to Florida in the winter, like he'd hibernate, and he'd go mm-hmm. and he'd sell hubcaps, and he would sell porn. I remember one time. I still remember this. He gave me a porn, and it was a Christmas porn. And when the elf came, he goes, aha, Santa only comes once a year. And I still remember that. And I'm in a big Nick VHS porno. I'm a little pissed off right now. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. And this is the honest to goodness truth. He never gave me <laughs> one single porn tape. Not one. He never drove him in the Fiero. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 oh, 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 yeah. That was the, that was the funniest thing. 
You know. <laughs> okay, okay, for those of you listening, just imagine Shaquille O'Neal trying to slide into one of those smart for two cars. Yeah. <laughs> Man, and the funny thing is, we're driving to a show in Reading. It was a uh, Paul Solari gig. I think it was Burn mm-hmm. Mountain or one of his rooms or whatever. And we're driving, and I was it was in the winter, and I, I would get I would get a uh, warm quick, so I I would I would open up my window to get a little cold air in and Nick kept turning the heat on and I'm thinking how does a 450 pound man get cold like he has other insulation because every time I'd be driving and I'd he, and he'd like hey look at that and I'd turn my head to look at something you know on the side of the road and he'd put his hand on it turn the heater on then I'd be driving like why am I so goddamn hot and so then I would sit there and I would grab it and I would, I would turn it off and I'm like did you do that he's like no you did it I said all right he did it like 10 times on the way up is that how many times you had to refill your gas tank okay. on the way up to? Yeah, man, it was just, yeah, it was funny. Those were the days. There were different days, you know, different times. And it was just, it was crazy. I'm just pissed off that the be never, I not, did not get, I didn't even know. Now I'll tell you who, who had the porn. Um, He's not long. He's no longer with us, but he had a porn collection that I literally laughed at. Uh, Doc. Doc passed away. Yeah. A few years ago. I didn't know that. I didn't know because Doc was a lawyer. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. crazy. And, uh, and Doc was a pretty dark guy, Doc Tari. He played the guitar. And uh, yeah. I used to drink with Doc. And he, that man, he could slug him down. He could drink some beer. And uh, yeah. I never knew he was a big porn. I thought you were going to say Fred Novak. Because we know Novak. I mean, Novak would look at porn magazines on the bus. He didn't give a shit. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. Because uh, Doc had to, cause, but the thing was, is like it was almost like he, it was almost like he collected these weird things because they were weird things right. and i don't even know if he i don't even know if he even you know took care of himself watching it he's like, like those guys that collect cars but never drive them right. you know <laughs> he was he's he was one of those dudes and i'm going do you even watch these things and um he was the one that introduced me to this like a rudy ray Moore, like super dirty comedy tapes and stuff like that and uh, i hung out with that man so much we went to new york so many times you know and uh you know, it was it was funny how many of the you guys I actually rode with. Well, then I was a kid at the time, but I mean, but it was just kind of a, it was just kind of a funny thing. Now, let me I want I'm going to find this out because we both were in L.A. and you. And what, what was the uh, what were the years you were actually in Los Angeles? Let's see. I moved back four years ago. Um, let me think. You know, I really don't know, Steve. I know. I probably moved to L.A. 19 years ago. So we're looking maybe 2002, maybe 2001. Oh, I was long gone when you got yeah, there. Yeah, I, I moved there later. Um, I lived in North Jersey for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know when I moved out there. Because I also, well, before I lived in L.A., I lived in San Diego for six or seven years. I think you were in L.A. when I was in San mm-hmm. Diego. And then yeah, I moved I, up. I didn't even know you were on the West Coast at the time. Yeah. Well, it was different then. You know, it wasn't like we didn't have cell phones. You didn't, you couldn't keep mm-hmm. in touch with people. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have anything. So you, you wouldn't know. And you, you know, some people you keep in touch with and you'd have their number and then you would find out. Or, and then when we got email, you know, you go, Oh, you find it. Like I found John Matta was in LA or you got mm-hmm. his number or stuff like that. So it was interesting. What did you go to San Diego for though? Uh, you know what? I thought it'd be good. I was, I was married, my, my first marriage. And um, I don't know. I just thought it'd be a cool place to write. And it was just different. And it was cool. And I was getting out of comedy at the time. I was just tired because I've been on the road a lot. And I just went down. It was a different lifestyle. You know what I mean? You know, you grow up in Cherry Hill your whole life. And then, you know, you go to college in New Jersey. And then, you know, you live outside New York, but you're in New Jersey. And you spend 
your whole life in New Jersey, you know, and, and even though you're traveling, doing comedy all over the, the country, mostly for me, the East Coast and the Midwest, mm-hmm. um, you just wanted to break, you know, and I, I, I talk to people about that a lot, you know, sometimes you just wanted to break because, you know, comedy was so weird and, and it was, you know, it wasn't like there was as many gigs too. It was, it was drying up a little bit and they weren't mm-hmm. paying. And, you know, cause we went, we went to the tail end of the boom mm-hmm. and, you know, you can make, you could work every night and get paid, but then all of a sudden all these comics started doing it and you got crappy bookers who would pay someone hardly any money to headline and it just started fucking up comedy. And so I just, I just was tired of it. I, and I wasn't really having fun on stage. You know, I, I used to mm-hmm. love getting on stage. And I was just like, I remember I was doing the, the funny farm in Youngstown, Ohio. And I, I, when I got off stage, I noticed I put myself in autopilot and I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to have a job where I'm in autopilot. You know, that's like, I might as well be an accountant making a lot more money with benefits than, you know, if I'm going to be in a, you know, it used to be you'd be in a zone, but then when you go from the zone, when you get in that zone on a good set to autopilot, it's, uh, it just wasn't really fun anymore because I always mixed my setup to keep it fresh. I could never understand that some people would just want to do the same set all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I mean, I work with comics, you know, I'm like, holy shit, you know, I've seen you for 20 years, you're still doing the same set. And, it was just one of those things. I, just, I got, I got, I got burnt. You know, I got burnt. And I mean, I still perform every once in a while. But and when I do it, I mean, this guy Dave Evans had me headline his room before the pandemic, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do forty-five minutes. I could, but I don't practice anymore. And I did another good set, and you get off, and you're like, Oh yeah, man, I should do this more. But I'm like, No, nah, I don't want. I don't want to go to Doyle's Town for fifty bucks on a Friday or Saturday. I'd rather just sit at home. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to open mics because I, I don't, I don't need the bullshit. And so I was just, I was burnt. And now when I do it every once in a while, you know, I, uh, I have fun. People are like, man, you're funny. I go, well, I was a working stand-up comic for years. And I just, it just, it's, it's fun at the time, but I go, you know, what? I just have, it could be a hobby, but I do my, my hobby is my podcast. And that's what I, I pay, pay my attention to. The funny thing about it is once you get to a certain skill level, I found that the default number that you can just do in your sleep is about 30 minutes. Right. Like I, I could, like I haven't done stand up in a, in a while. I could, I could walk on stage right now without looking at any jokes, just not even thinking about it and do 30 solid minutes. Hey, for me, I can't, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta, I mean, I probably can, but I put, I give myself a mental block. You know, I always go up mm-hmm. with notes now because, uh, I forget shit. I keep them behind me. I don't have a notebook, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, for me, I, I can't, I mean, I can, but I don't give myself the confidence. And I, I think I, I, I work with that fear. I'm always worried I'm going to forget my spot. But then I think, wow, I can do this bit. I mean, the bits, of course, I can't do bits about me having hair anymore. But, you know, <laughs> but it's just, I, you know, that's good. You can do that. And a lot of people can. I probably can, but I just, I don't, I don't train myself to do that. I, I, I'd rather leave it up in the air. And, uh, dude, after fly. 30 years, trust me, you could walk on stage yeah, and you can do it effectively. I, I didn't do stand up for like 10 years. I mean, I did it and I didn't do it and I did it sporadically. I mean, I haven't, I haven't done, I haven't done more than in the last 50, 20 years, 20 years, the most sets I've probably done in a week were like six, 10 little 10 minute sets in like one week in LA mm-hmm. 10 years ago. It's, it's, that, that was a, let me ask you this. Cause you, like I said, I, I left Los Angeles in like 99, 2000 and then, and haven't gone back yet. You came in like right after I left. 
when I left, it was an I was um <laughs> I remember I was doing coffee houses, laugh factory, and all these other kind of places, but it just didn't feel like stand up. It felt like whenever you did stand up, they didn't really care about the performance per se. They kind of were like, "Do we want to see if you're funny?" Okay, we know you're funny. Do you fit into a slot we already have cut already? Like, you know, are you the this guy or the that lady or the this guy? And I saw them picking people that didn't necessarily get laughs, um, but they fit. And they were, I mean, they were, they were, they were funny, but they weren't comedians. But they fit into a peg, you know, to a, a pre-cut hole. And it was easy. And I didn't, I couldn't get mad at them because if I'm the you know, person picking the comic, I'm trying to project, protect my job. You know, I, you know, if I make too many mistakes, I'm the hell out of there. And I was like, I, I just want to do comedy, man, in whatever form. And, and as the technology started to catch up, I realized I don't, I could do it from wherever the hell I want to. Right. Yeah. You know, I, funny, I really didn't do stand up when I got to LA I, in the beginning. I did down the road, but uh, I, I was, you know, I was working in a restaurant. I, I did, I optioned a screenplay and I, I got a few freelance writing gigs, but I wasn't really concentrating on stand up because I didn't feel like, starting over because that's what happens you know we didn't have the credits and unfortunately philadelphia comics didn't get the heat that boston and new york comics did new york understandable because new york you know it's new york boston no i mean boston was great the great comics but philly had great comics and you know you look at it like you know look at mckay mckay didn't do stand-up and now mckay is one of the biggest directors writers around and he did stand up with us he was like i don't want to do this out here because it was it's it's a pain and i talk to people Mm -hmm. about that all the time you know they're they're hanging out, they're hanging out, they're hanging out. And you're right. They pick someone else that looks, doesn't, they don't, they don't look the part, you know? And then, so that happens, but that's the thing about Hollywood. You know, they, they're all about a product. I mean, they want, you know, they, they all think of what the latest trend is. Like this happened a few years ago with sitcoms, you know, they didn't, they don't want to use any of the great writers like, you know, Steve Scroban and Lou Schneider and all those guys who were, were, were won Emmys for Everyone Loves Raymond. You know, it was like they didn't want these older writers. They wanted to bring in all these young hip writers through the sitcoms, and they did that, and all the sitcoms sucked. And they said, oh, oh, wait, wait. So these older guys, they know what they're doing. And that's in Hollywood. They said, they're going, we want someone new, you know, someone new because then, the, you know, they can get the, the network, you know, looking at them. But it wasn't, it was just, it didn't, it didn't work a lot of times. I always thought that the best writing rooms had a combination of new people and old people. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you I know mean, what I mean? It's, that is true because if they're older and you know, and you and I both know this when we did comedy, you know, people were very quick to mentor us. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, if you weren't a dick, you know, I'm just sure there's certain people who the comics didn't want to like Grover and those guys didn't want to mentor you know, mm-hmm. but it was a matter of that's why it works. You know, because you know, if, if the younger people listen and the older people mentor, you get a great product and you work together. You know, when I worked for a website where I wrote jokes, I wrote twenty five jokes a day, and the guy who was was me and another guy who was Jeff Martyr, who did you know Tonight Show. He got couched the first time when he was twenty one. I watched mm-hmm. an old Arsenio tape of his. He had an HBO special, hosted a. Uh, talk show with Ringo and the Playboy channel and me and Jeff worked a lot because I, I looked up to him and eventually he said your your jokes are better than mine you know you just I'm going to concentrate on the business aspect now it's all yours take over creative and it was because he mentored me but we but I learned and I was I wanted because I I admired his act and I think that's what happens when you get someone who is younger and admires someone and is not a dick 
who's not like knows everything they learn and then then eventually the older person sits there and goes okay i can grow into a different position now because you know what you're doing it's it's well one of the things it's just like a like in a relationship you when you uh if you're in a relationship when you and you love her or if you're you know or love him or whatever and they can't accept it because of something about them you know the nicer you are to them you know <laughs> yeah I, you know I, I you know what i mean yeah i and, you know I, it's funny you say that i i i mentor some younger podcasters mm-hmm. and they're like you know and they always go god you get such great musical guests i go well yeah because i've been doing it 10 years and they expect a guest like how'd you get i want to get that guest can you help me out i'm like you know you, you know i've mean, done like 100 episodes dude and then and then you sit there and you listen to their episode when they get a nice size guest and they flub it. They're shitting themselves, you know? And so I'm like, <laughs> no, you know, just, they're, me and Judy Gold talked about this last, two weeks ago on my podcast. Mm. You know, there's a reason why y- you you get your chops. Because when you're ready, you can deliver. And that's what a lot of people don't get. You know, you, you have to be ready. And, you know, I mean, if, if it's a podcast, if you've done 50 episodes, you're not ready. Shit. Mm. I've done, I've done. My, I only post, I've done 865 episodes of my podcast and like 30 I used to do for internet radio. Yeah. You get good at it. It's like stand-up. You get good at it. But you're not going to become a star overnight. But we both also know from doing stand-up, we, after like six months, we both thought we were the shit. After we had that first set at CFO, <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, man, I can feature when we couldn't even do five. You know, but you get that, you get that ego. Like, yeah, and then all of a sudden you go up the next night and you fall flat on your ass and you go, hey, you know what, maybe I got a little too cocky. But that was the youth of us. Yeah, I, I just told somebody the other day, I think it was either on the show or not, I can't remember, but uh, I told, I think, <laughs> I told, I told, uh, I remember I did that first set at the Comedy Works and went really well. I'm not even kidding about this. Okay, I'm kind of kidding, but I remember going home and I was like, yeah, I killed for four and a half minutes. Ah, I'm 17. Ah, I should have my sitcom by Thursday. Yeah. Uh. We all thought that. Like, oh yeah, man. They're going to ask me a headline, baby. I'm coming in and headlining. And then all of a sudden you go up the next night and you go, you can't get a laugh and you're like, you walk away with your towel on your legs and you're like, oh, I guess I, guess I won't be headlining. The worst part about that second, the first bombola is, is, I'm glad it happened like the second time and not the 15th or 20th time, so you can really build your ego up, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, as, as you work, you know, and everyone knows, you know, you do have a crappy set. And the thing is, as long as you're doing good 90% of the time, be happy. But if it starts going to be, you know, you're doing good 60% of the time, you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be in a business. Because I, you're not funny. <laughs> it's like, you know, as I always said, it's like the ice house in Pasadena. Uh, oh, yeah. You go on that stage. If you go on that stage in a packed house and, and you don't, and you can't rock it for seven minutes, get out of the business. Because, you know, a person who makes no sense could go up there and just sing to the ceiling and they would destroy. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> it was like, it was, uh, I remember doing the, it was at the ice house and I'm looking out and I'm going, this is the easiest. I mean, oh, yeah, it was so easy. It's it was like, like, good God, man. There, and it's funny because I didn't really know people and I wouldn't do a bringers. And there was this comedy teacher and she would put people up. And she always put me up first and I'd laugh because I didn't want to say, well, you know what? Your student is not going to be able to follow me. And I would just go and just destroy and the student <laughs> would go up and eat shit. And I'd be like, Hey, and then some like, you know, the student after them is going to eat shit too. He's put me third, but 
I understood why she wanted the room to get energy and get going, but it's just, it was just funny. That room was so easy. Yeah. It, 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 that always cracked me up about that. It was like, um, cause I don't, I don't, I, I don't you see like the laugh factory was pretty damn easy as well. Never played there. It was like, it was like, it was, it was, it was like a shade. It was roughly the same level of easy that the ice house is. It still is from what I understand. I mean, well, and mainly because a lot of the comics there are pretty damn good. And they've got, they got the names. People know they, they're going to see, you know, they, they know they can see Chappelle pop in or Chris Rock or, or anybody, all those people, they, they, they know there's a chance, you know, Saget's always there. So they know they, they're, they're, they're there to laugh and they're, that's why they're there and they're tourists and they are eating the shit up. That this is what LA is. So they go in and they don't see the other side when you're doing a crappy uh, coffee house <laughs> in Koreatown in front of like four homeless people and two, uh, like five other comics who all have their faces in their notebook. I think they're funnier than you, even though they've never made a dime doing comedy. I used to laugh at that on Facebook. I got all these comedy groups because someone's like, oh, I hate comedy. I hate hobby comics. And I was like, hey, I'm a hobby comic. You know what? I just went back east and did five shows and made more money than you'll make in two years. Mm-hmm. So who's making the hobby? You're the hobby comic because you perform every night. They got, as they say, we're on the grind. Love my job. I go, well, you must love driving Uber because that's what you fucking do. <laughs> the, the, the thing about it is, is almost it's almost like a Clark Kent Superman type of thing. Uh, in certain places when you go there because you've been doing it at this time, like seven, eight, nine, ten years, you're still young and they don't realize that people, I remember somebody giving, uh, it was older than me at the time. I was like 23, 24. He was like 32 or something like that. Yeah, kid. Uh, he's giving me advice. Now, as a professional for a decade at this point, I'm looking, <laughs> I'm listening to this guy and he's saying all, and I'm sitting there going, does he just not know what he's talking about? Or is he trying to sabotage me? Because his advice—I forgot what it was—but we were la- we we me and the guy that was with at the time we were hanging around another comic. I forgot his name, and he was a pro from Boston or something like that. And we we're both we're professionals, you know. We had paid—I mean, when you've paid bills with jokes, right? You know what I'm saying? It's a different thing than somebody else, you know. So he's yeah, yeah, kid, I've been doing it a year. Ah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're mean, I mean, and I got that when like when I first started my podcast. Some guys like, well, you should do, you should do more political stuff, you know, because it was the internet radio, and I was getting a shitload of listeners, mm-hmm. and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not my gig, man. I'm, I'm I talk to performers, I talk to actors. And I, if I wanted a political radio show, I, I would say, this is Steve Cooper in politics, but I don't want that. And, and but they always, everyone always can give you advice when they don't know what the hell it's about. You know, it's it's they sit there, they go, oh yeah, do this, and it's like, dude, just you know, don't tell me what to do. You do yours, well, the other thing you do is, mine, and then we'll see what happens. Well, let's be honest. Aren't there enough, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean, in political shows out there as it is? Yeah, and they're, all, I, they're I, all shows. That's what it is. They're shows. I don't need that crap. You know, I, it's like I purposely stay away. I, I just, enough. You know what I mean? I don't personally enough of political because an argument always happens. And uh, it's so funny, this one idiot, I made a joke. When coronavirus started, I put it on Facebook. I said, it's unbelievable that people believe in Bigfoot more than they believe. Some people believe in Bigfoot more than they believe in coronavirus. All mm-hmm. it was was a joke. Then mm-hmm. arguments start. And this one guy who's a comic, who's an idiot, like a meth head, ex-con. Um, I actually put him on a few of my shows out there when I was mm-hmm. booking my friend's restaurant in a bar. He starts going off. And, and on another friend, he's arguing with I think he started arguing with Marty Allman. Marty Allman's like the nicest guy. 
And I'm like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, it was a fucking joke. And so I unfriended the guy. So then he sends me a message, you know, hey, uh, I put some video to watch. And I'm like, and he's like, you and all your Hollywood friends. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't live in Hollywood. And, you know, I do know a lot of people in Hollywood. They're my friends, but I don't live in Hollywood. And he's like, good luck, comrades. I'm like, whatever. Five months later, he sends me a friend request. I said, like, what are you joking me? Like, I'm going to accept it, dude. I mean, what is wrong with you? It's like, it's, it's delusion. And it's over politics, man. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's Facebook. Facebook should be fun. You know, posts, mm-hmm. you know, you promote your show. I promote my show. You promote stupid shit like you eat ketchup on crab cakes, which is stupid. But besides that, you know, you try How to, you don't want to, you don't want to dare get, you dude, come on crab. You know, you go to Maryland, <laughs> you go to Maryland, you go to Phillips or go to any place and you ask for ketchup with crab cakes and they'll throw your ass into the Chesapeake Bay. I got news for you, buddy. When I lived in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. Fisherman's Wharf. Damn it. I slapped ketchup on there and they loved it. No, oh, okay, it. they look at me funny. They look at me funny. I'll be honest yeah, with you. But, like, <laughs> Eastern, I, I, I was it's funny. I went to a concert one night at uh, TLA and mm-hmm. me and my buddy after we had a few cocktails and we went and we got cheesesteaks at gyms. This is when I first moved back. I had not been to gyms in whatever years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't know they until cash. Thank God I had cash on me. And this guy I'm good friends with. I go to concerts with all the time and he, uh, he slaps mustard on his cheesesteak. I'm like, what the? I mean, I put ketchup on my cheesesteak, but I was like, I've never seen anyone in my whole life. I've never seen someone put mustard on their cheesesteak. And I was, I was a little disgusted with him. I was a little pissed at him. I'm like, you're, you're you know, you know, and he's lived here the whole time in in this, in my area. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, no one puts a mustard on a cheesesteak. That's sacrilege. Yeah, that's got to stop. Uh, <laughs> did you get the Philly taco? Is that the one where they wrap the pizza? Yeah. That's just a waste. Seriously, like, <laughs> people, if you don't know, it's, it's where they, they you get a cheesesteak and you wrap it in pizza. Why? It makes no sense. It's it's it, it makes no sense. Like it doesn't even sound appealing. It's like eat your pizza and eat a cheesesteak. I can't I can't eat that much food anyway. I would the funny thing about it is if somebody handed me that, I would unroll that thing so fast. <laughs> yeah, you know because I mean? it's like it's sacrilege. It's like you know, I mean, I fold my piece of pizza, but I don't want a cheesesteak in the middle of it. Yeah, and I'm sitting there going, it's one of those things where you're going, did someone who lived someplace else and then moved to Philadelphia come up with that to feed tourists that crap? Because what the hell does pizza have to do? You know, I mean, they have pizza in Philadelphia, but it's not, you know. I've I've had a cheesesteak pizza, though, which isn't actually that's, bad. That's put no that yeah that's that's a, that's a grinder and that's good stuff. That's just that's pizza sauce and cheese on top of the cheesesteak and they no, throw no, it no, in no, the no, oven. A, a pizza that has a pizza that has um, peppers, even though the Philly cheesesteak doesn't. Get oh, peppers. the Philly cheesesteak pizza, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. That's yeah, good. that's good. But I I can't see combining the two. It's like you know I can't see wrapping them. It's just stupid. Yeah, that's like it's like like a your that joke you were doing with Oprah. She loves bread. She really loves bread. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man, that's somebody I, I milked the shit out of that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, but but the thing is, it's like yeah, I, I I had to cut down on the damn bread, man. I, I just I can't. You know what I mean? I, I just can't do it. You it's know, it's, it's to, all sensible eating. That's all it is, man. Now speaking of which, Miss Mister Catheter up the leg. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ask you about this, cause uh, I mean, 
What the hell? Okay. I'll give you an update. Two and a half years, 10 years ago, I had congestive heart failure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but then I got, I took my meds. My heart was really, we got, I got back to good. Well, then when I moved mm-hmm. back here, uh, my insurance was still in LA. I hadn't started my job here. And so I had my buddy picking up my pills in LA, my, my blood thinner and my other uh, heart thing and mailing it to me. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm healthy. So I, I was only taking half. Well, I didn't know that, you know, I have something called AFib. They said it, but they really ignored it in LA. It's where my heart will get stuck at a certain rate. You know, like, I, like I, when I went to the, I went to the hospital, I went to the cardiologist at Deborah. I haven't been to the doctor for a while. And my heart rate was at 170. And they kept me in the hospital for uh, eight days. And what happened was, because my heart was always going into AFib or staying in there for like a few hours, it was like me running a marathon. So it weakened my heart. There's something called an injection rate that should be 55 to 70%. I'm using it 62, 64%. I was down to 24%. Okay. I'm looking back. I'm lucky that I just wasn't walking down the street and had a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. So when I got out, they did do a cardiac catheter where they go through your wrist and my arteries are completely clear. So mm-hmm. they had to do an ablation two years ago. And that's where they go up through the inside of your thigh on, on your right thigh. They come up and they go across your chest and go to your heart and burn scar tissue because your heart's like an electrical system. So mm-hmm. they're basically putting speed bumps on it. So in case your heart goes, it'll slow down. Well, unfortunately for that kind of procedure, only about 60% take. And I was one of the 40% that it didn't take the first time. So even though I wasn't really getting the AFib as much, I think they gave me, it's weird, the Halloway science is they put something on me called a halter. It looks like a thing of dental floss and you stick it to your upper left side and there's no wires and it transmit this signal and you keep it on for like a week. And I had 2% of AFib. So they said, you know what, just get another uh, uh, ablation. So I got her a few weeks ago, went in, went in on Monday and um, they keep you overnight because you have to lay on your back for five hours because you have a stitch. Mm-hmm. It was out the next day by Wednesday, everything was fine. I, I had Did no you? pain. You get a little bit yes, of pain, please. but I was wondering why my 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 throat was hurting, and I forgot they they put one of those breathing tubes in you. So I, it's just, uh, but you know, it's one of those things as you get older. You know, I mean, I've had that, and I've had uh, before that uh, cardio versions is where they they put you under for like a minute and they shock your heart back into rhythm. I've had like mm-hmm. in the last two years, I've had like five or six of them two ablations. I had to wear a man bra with a pocket defibrillator when I first got out of the hospital. You just, mm-hmm. you just learn to deal with it, man. You know, what, what else are you going to do? You, you know, you, you can't be afraid. I told my wife, I said, here's the deal. I said, my, I mean, there's like a 2% chance I would die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing. I said, listen, I said, here's the deal. If I die, I already, I already wrote a contract to my friends. I said, first, I don't want you, I don't, I don't, next guy you date, I would love to have hair. You've been, you've been with me for 10 years on bald. I want you to have a guy with hair so you can run your hands through his hair. And I said, also, you know, you're a beautiful woman and you look much younger than you are. You know, you're, my wife's 55. People think she's 35. I said, mm-hmm. you can only date someone. The least, least you can go is 15 year younger. Nothing else. You know, you know, once it's 15 year younger, you can't date. I told my friends to keep an eye on her because, you know, Keanu, he dies. So, Yes, she can only date a guy 15 years younger at the most, and he has to have hair if I die. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So what's your address? Yeah. You're bald, dude. <laughs> Come on. You're bald. I'm not, not. I got my head. I got my hair. You're not. You're, I got not, my you're, hair. Not, you're not. You're not. You're like six years younger than me. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I can't. The thing about it is, and my uncles, they've, they've passed, but they gave me the hardest time because they all lost their hair early. And I have a full head of hair at fifty-two, yeah, but with you know, no you, signs you look, of losing it. You look better bald. Yeah, you, I love being bald. You, I love you know, it, bro. Back then, you, you know, and people, if you don't know, if you see pictures of Steve back in the day, and he'll 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 deny it, but he had the full-on Gary Coleman hairdo. I don't care what you say. You had that hairdo back in fucking eighty-eight. And I'm gonna uh, say right now that uh, Cooper's a damn liar. Yeah, I had a dated uh, Coulier haircut, so I <laughs> I can't say much more. No, you had you had the Bon Jovi drummer hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't a mullet. I tell people it wasn't a mullet. It was feathered with with gel. Yeah, it's a mullet with gel in it. Yeah. Not for anybody, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But that, that was that was a, that, but that that's a you know. But uh, but uh, other than that, uh, everything you, the health things you pretty good and you feel yeah. Like you know, good. I mean, I, you know, my my cholesterol's a little high, but as my doctor said, uh, you know, your arteries are clear, so just we'll keep an eye on it, but just you get through this. So, as I said, you know, I may have going to AFib that takes uh, seventy or eighty days to heal. Um, mm-hmm. that I can get off one bed. I got to stand on blood thinner. And the funny is the blood thinner, you know, makes your blood thin. And when I was at the mm-hmm. hospital, the, uh, first time for eight days, somehow my IV came out and cause I'm on a blood thinner, my blood's fucking spurting everywhere. I felt like mm-hmm. Dexter shooting up on my rope and I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm standing up and it was just funny. I was like, looking back, it's like the poor nurse came in, there's blood all over the floor. There's blood all over. Like, I look like, you know, I was just trying to kill someone. But uh, I'm good. I'm a good health. I, I can't complain. I just actually, I, I, in the last three days, I started going back to the gym and I'm doing 30 minutes a day on the treadmill. Dude, you know what I did? Because I guess I got, because I, because you know, you go to the gym or whatever, and, and it's like you keep making excuses. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I just broke down and bought a, a power, a, a, a total gym. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would do that, but it's funny, you know. Joanne, my wife, she goes to the gym two days a week. She goes to a trainer two days a week. So, uh, you know, I felt like now I'm like, you know what? I told her I'd do it. And I said, you know what? I'll go. And I'm just going to do cardio. And then maybe I'll end the weights. But I, you know, the one, when I first was in the hospital, the one medicine they put me on, put on like 15 pounds. I've been, you know, I've, I've been the whole, the same weight since we were doing comedy. I mean, I've been doing the same mm-hmm. weight up to two years ago. I put on 15 or 20 pounds and it's, it goes in my gut. And it goes into what I call Zoom face. When you do Zoom, you look in the camera, you notice you get a little bit of a chin hanging down. And um, and so I just, I said, I'm going to start doing it. And I'm just, it was good. I mean, I hate it. I hate the gym. I know <laughs> I put I put a book on tape and I just do 30 minutes on the treadmill. And, uh, and hopefully it'll work. I'll keep doing it. Man, what is it? I keep seeing pictures of uh, of, of food, like healthy so I'm assuming Joanne eats healthy. Well, I cook. I cook most. You of cook. Yeah, I mean, she loves to cook, but I cook. And it's funny though. She said the other night she cooked, and she said, "Yeah, if you keep going to the gym, I'll start cooking." Well, the problem is, I like cooking, so I said, "Don't tell me that. I'll, I'll stop going to the fucking gym." I, I <laughs> my my whole joke is, I do it eat healthy and cheap. You know, I wrote mm-hmm. a cookbook ten years ago called "Stop the Salt" after I had congestive heart failure. And it's so funny because you can find it on Amazon, Stop the Salt by Steve Cooper. And I probably sell one book every 
two months because I got in my bank account like a dollar forty three residual. <laughs> you know, like oh, I sold a book. Holy crap! One day I got like six bucks. You people, three people bought my book. But um, I just I learned that you know, it's so easy to. We have an attraction to fast food because it's good. And it's so easy to cook. So I, I'll put a picture up. I'll say, you know, like I'll go get fish and then I'll, I'll get vegetables. And so the whole meal will cost six bucks to make. So I put, you know, I say stay at home, uh, cheap and easy stay at home meal. And I, I just do it because I want people to eat well. And, you know, like, as you know, it's a comic, you know, for so long we ate so crappy because mm-hmm. you're on the road and you're eating at the comedy club and then some clubs like, well, you can just have off the appetizer menu. So you're living on, you know, wings and skins and diner <laughs> yeah, food and say. fried food and, you know, Taco Bell. And so I just, you know, I, I like to cook and post it just so I, if I can get one person to eat healthier and I believe me, I'll, I'll eat, you know, I'll eat crap food. You know, I'm telling you, there's, I mean, I, I'm tempted every Monday and I don't, that every Monday to go to a Philly pretzel company because they have, they have dollar pretzel dogs and those things mm-hmm. are amazing and I can wolf them down but I go I can't and every Monday through Friday Arby's two to five they have dollar sliders they're good they're good sliders <laughs> and I would love to go every day but I can't because it's not just for me you know as I said mm-hmm. I, I I'm, I'm married now and I have to look out for my health for her and and I always think also if if I died all these uh new podcasters would be getting the good guests i had to work my ass off to get <laughs> that's what i was like that's what i was like you cook I, I swear i was i was picturing you ordering crap not not even even if it was healthy crap i just it was like i didn't and I cook, for some I reason cook. i didn't I pick cook, i love the food shop and the thing is i love food shopping it's because me it's therapeutic like if i go joanne food shopping it's not i don't like it because i have i'm set i know my aisles at aldi I know my aisles at ShopRite. I know Sprouts. Sprouts is a store that was in LA. I used to go to one in Burbank all the time. Well, two Sprouts are open. One's in South Philly. One's right around the corner from me in Marlton, New Jersey. I'm there all the time. I'm fascinated. They have like 15, 15 types of apples. I thought there was like four types of apples. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> and so I love it. I love shopping. I make a menu. And I sit there and, you know, I mean, we'll, 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 we do eat out, you know, but, and we do, and we enjoy that. And, but, you know, and, and we do, we'll make pizza sometimes, you know, Aldi is a good frozen pizza, like a, like a DiGiorno pizza, but it's like $2 and 65 cents and it's just as good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I like, I like to get a good deal. It's, it, it's really weird how people, it's like there, there are certain places that I like to go shopping you know uh you know if you go if you go to if i go to a place and the vegetables look good you know what i mean oh, yeah. <laughs> you know yes. if i see that i'm like okay here we go well, you, <laughs> you know what i mean you lived in la when you used to go to like john's john's was like the uh like the crappy shop right and you go in the vegetables mm-hmm. just look like shit you'd be like what the hell they're cheap and there's a reason why they're cheap you know it's like there's a watermelon with a bite out of it no, I'm not going to buy that. You know, there's like, there's like a plum with the coral on the outside. I'm not, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> you ever bite the apple and the whole inside's brown? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, that happens with avocados, man. You sit there and oh. they feel so great. And then, you know, I did, we just had avocado tonight and I looked so good. It felt good. And I opened up and there's like this big brown spot. I'm like, what the hell, man? It's like it snuck in. It just pisses. It, it, that's one of the things that, you know, you know, my, 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 one of my uncles used to go, I had my mouth ready for that. You know, you, you sit there and you're ready. 
to eat this thing. And they go, man, I'm going to get in the kitchen. I'm going to get the knife out. I'm going to take the pit out. I'm going to be in there. And, oh. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. It, it's, it's gross. Well, like, if you eat something that you overcooked. Like you're all excited and you bite into it and you're like, ah, oh, this shit's dry. That's why I that's why I eat chicken thighs, not chicken breasts, because chicken thighs are always moist. Chicken breasts can get dry on you. Sometimes, but if you like if you stuff it, it works. But I'm like, I, I'm a chicken thigh guy because it's always moist. Uh I'm 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 looking at the, the the computer right now. And I'm looking at Cooper Talk, episode eight hundred and sixty five, as you said. Eight hundred and 65 interviews. They're all interviews, right? All interviews. 865. Yep. And all with, all with, uh, you know, as I said, I, I later, lately I've switched to music. I'm going back to actors, but in the last six months, I've had six members of the rock and roll hall of fame. I think I was, I was doing a zoom interview with, uh, Stephen Van Zandt from Springsteen mm-hmm. the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the first time I was a little bit nervous because you pop in on zoom and there's little Stevie with his with his <laughs> headband on. He's sitting there and he's got like this background and his house looks like a Tim Burton movie, like this black and white check shit. And in the middle mm-hmm. of the interview, and I, I never edited it, but I had to, because in the middle of the interview, his dog started barking. He goes, oh, hold on, hold on, I'm so sorry. And he had to go and tell his dog to shut up. And uh, so, yeah, I, I've gotten lucky. You know, I, I and it's not lucky. I just, I've gotten really good guests and I got into the music genre somewhat. And, um, and then I, I've always had, I've always liked character actors and mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I, I sit there. I just, and I do comedians occasionally. I just had Wendy Liebman on for, I think it was Wendy's fourth time on the show and she's become friends with my wife and I became friends with her and she's, she's just wonderful. And I had Judy Gold on and it's funny in the middle of the interview, Judy Gold was talking about it. She's like, yeah, you know, how you got, you know, you know, you know, you know, us, us people, you know, us, us Jewish people, and I'm like, I'm not Jewish, Judy. And she's like, sorry, yeah, yeah. What do you mean you're not Jewish? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. She's like freaking out because I'm not Jewish. And so I get the comedians every once in a while. I, I, uh, I just interviewed the guy from Squeeze, which is a band I love. Um, yeah, I just, I've been, you know, I've, I've sent out letters. You know, I used to get upset if something to get back to me, but then I said, look how many people there are to interview. And then if I see someone else get a guess and I don't. I used to get upset, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's not my deal, you know? And I, I, I help a lot of uh, younger podcasters get guests, you know, for musicians and stuff, if mm-hmm. they're good. And, you know, they're always like, some of them are like, well, we can help you out. I said, well, you know what? I got the guest first. That's all it counts. I don't care. Like Rich Scheidner always says this, you know, like when Robin Williams stole one of Rich Scheidner, Rich's jokes, he wanted to write him a check and Rich is like, nah, don't worry. I already did it on Letterman. Yeah, it's done. It's out there. You know, whatever you do, I don't give a shit. It's done. I've done it. I can't, he's like, I can't do it again. So whatever. And that's how I feel, you know, when I, when I get help people with guests, I don't, I had them already. And you know what? And that's not to be arrogant, but I know their interview is not going to be as good as mine because I've been doing it for so long. It's like you sitting there, you know, I mean, they may have a good set, a good interview, but they're not going to be consistent. And that's why I've gotten a good guest because a lot of times I shoot the shit with a guest after we turn the, um, the recorder off and I never prepare any questions like you. We're just shooting the shit. And that's what mm-hmm. I do when they come on. I know about their careers. We know each other, but I know mm-hmm. about these people's careers because I do a little bit of research, but I don't write any questions out because why I, I'm, I'm not an interviewer you know, that's the difference you know like it's the old thing you know 
what was it? Stand up comics, tell jokes, comedians, make people, I don't know, whatever, but it's like, mm-hmm. we're hosts, man. We're not, we're not interviewers. You know, anyone can be an interviewer. All you have to do is research and, you know, just ask questions. And I, you, you, my goal was, and I've succeeded at it, is to make it sound like a conversation, just like we said in the beginning about comedy, when you make it sound like it's coming off your head, you know, even though it isn't, you know, I mean, there's some people I know, but I ask certain questions, but I don't write it down. It's just like comedy. You know, we're going to do certain bits and you know, you're going to do it, but you're not like prepared for it. I, I specifically and purposely, I go back <clears throat> And I look at I li- I usually <laughs> I listen to two or three of their interviews, even if they're longer ones uh, beforehand, because and I, and I usually hear I can tell because people have the prepared questions or what they'll do is they won't let the guest talk. Exactly. You know, the, guest, the guest will be saying something. Just, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, 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 I want to make sure they get the nervous energy. They'll do the. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, I also I don't listen to any. I don't listen to any other interviews of the guests because mm-hmm. I don't want to know what they're asking. But the cool thing now for me is I never listen to my show because I don't edit it. When I do edit it, I send it to a guy in L.A. But what's cool for me now is uh, I'm getting interviews that I do in the Hamilton Gazette, which is a, Hamilton's a town. 30 miles from Atlantic City, the newspaper, the Gazette, has about 15,000 circulation plus an online presence. And what mm-hmm. I do, like I did the Stephen Van Zandt interview for that, I have to go back and listen and I write the questions out. But then I share a byline. They have someone transcribe the answers and edit it, whatever. And I'm like, it's perfect. So I actually started listening to myself and I don't like to, but uh, I just like it that way. Because then you go, okay, now I write, and I go, well, you know, as I'm going through, I'm more conscious, like, how, you know, I have to choose six good questions that I already asked. So it's cool. It's it's an it's an interesting thing because I, I like the last like um the last couple of things uh when I would listen to like, like I said listen to the last couple of things they do, I just want to make sure because I, I want to hear what they keep getting asked fifteen times in a row, and <laughs> and, and a lot of times when I'll have somebody on, they're like, no one ever asked me that. Oh, that's a good question because I don't want to say the same stuff. But then I realized. If I if we just talk like two human beings, it's going to sound like two human beings talking. You know, I don't want to sit there. So I understand in 1965, you you started your band. Yeah, and then, and then people always sit there and ask those questions, and and then they <laughs> and they sometimes they they make the mistake of doing their um their research off Wikipedia, which is only 80 percent thing, and they'll go. So I heard that you used to play football as a kid. No, I never did. I was a little scrawny kid. Oh, and then it throws them for a loop. That's why you can't over-research and you can't do any of that. You know, you want to do your research. You want to be prepared because that's what we are doing. We're doing an interview. And and also what we forget is, well, we don't because me and you don't because we've been doing this for a while. It's our show. That's why you can't Mm -hmm. get intimidated by a guest. I I had Ed Asner coming to the studio. Ed Asner Mm -hmm. sitting there. He comes in and as he's coming in the studio, I just got done interviewing Sharon Lawrence. And she's uh, she walks out there talking, and Ed's like, "Ah, oh, I love that Sharon Lawrence. Uh, what microphone did she talk on?" I said, "This one." And he kisses a microphone, and I'm like, "Holy <laughs> shit, this is some whacked ass dude!" But I had to hold the fort down. It's Ed Asner, you know. I mean, he's grumpy, nicest guy, but he's grumpy, and you're like, the whole time interviewing, I'm interviewing, I'm like, "That's Ed Asner and rich man, poor man, Lou Grant, Mary mm-hmm. Tyler Moore, you know, all that shit." Roots. He was in Roots. He won an Emmy for Roots. And it's just, uh, yeah, so that's just, you get you get used to it. <laughs> and you do that, that comes in time. 
you said she said Stevie Van Zandt got to you. Ed Asner obviously got to you. Who were the who else? Uh, you know, they didn't get to I me. Know. I was a little bit nervous when they sat down. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got Stevie because I'm such a fan of Springsteen, mm-hmm. they didn't get to me. No, no, no guest has gotten to me. Well, well, you know what I meant. You know, yeah, I mean, no, I, well, you, I'm glad I, you cla- I, I, I glad you clarified. Been, yeah, no, no one. You know, everyone's just been so nice. And that, you know, I was telling someone that the other day. Of all these interviews, there hasn't been one jerk. I'm, I'm, and that's I'm not just saying that. There was one jerk years ago when I started. It was doing internet radio. I and he was a comic from Canada, and he's a nobody. And um, and he was sort of like trying to be funny and smug. And I was just like, you know, and I was new. And now everybody just like cut him off. Like I've done that in interviews where if someone's just an idiot, I just say, okay, well, thanks. But back then when I was in the studio, the show had to go for an hour. But now I'm just like, okay, thanks, thanks. It was great talking to you. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm, I, you know, give me respect. I'm taking my time to interview you. And the worst is I can want someone who's not even that big. That's what hurts when you get turned down by someone who's not that big. When you sit there and you just had, I remember the drummer from Blondie, the drummer from the Talking Heads, the drummer from the Pretenders, all members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and some person who had one hit isn't even getting back to me. And I'm like, mm. whatever, dude. That's why your career's in the shitter. That was always that was always uh, that I, I just get a kick out. I had uh which was hilarious. Um I had <laughs> this is, it's happened to me like I think in the past eight years, I think two, maybe three times, uh, where somebody would co- would would commit to the show, right? And I'm I, like I said, you, you like you said before, we learned a long time ago, be professional. Yep. Be where you said you were gonna be, do what you said you were gonna do, treat people with respect. That's how that's the default position. So I confirmed with this with this person early in the middle and the day before. Right. And then the day of. And they just ghosted me. That's, you know, that's the worst, you know, you know and, and I've been there and I've also sat there been waiting on a, on on a Zoom waiting for them to get in the room. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're going to ghost me. And I'm like, I just set up a studio. And I'm like, okay, I'll give him 10 minutes. It happened to someone a few weeks ago, and he just forgot, and I sent him a message. And I'm like, dude, we're going to try. I guess you may have forgot. We have to reschedule. He goes, oh, oh, my God. He goes, I never forget. And he ended up saying, can we do it now? I'll, I'll be honest. I said, okay, give me 10 minutes. That was cool. But I don't get that. I also don't get I had an actor on a TV show. I, I really like this TV show. And he said he'd do my show. This was a few months ago. And he says, yeah, you know, I'll definitely. I'll definitely. Sounds good. And I, I, I interviewed some of his friends. And... Uh, then he just after the interviews, he just after the messages on Facebook after that, he was just ghosting me. What people don't know is we see when you get the message because there's a little face pops up, your your <laughs> your profile shows. So we know you already saw the message. Hey, you know, I've had people say, nah, I don't want to do it. I'm fine with that. But at least give me the, you know, especially if you're someone who's like, I mean, because I love character actors, but if you're someone who doesn't work for a while, I've had actors and actresses say, you know what, we really don't have anything to promote and they feel like the career's nowhere. And I say, all right, can I hit you back? I had one actor, Chris Bauer. He's great. If you saw the movie of uh, the TV show, uh, The Deuce with uh, James Franco, he was in that. He was in The Wire. He's in a new movie coming about wrestlers. And I had uh, I sent him a message. He goes, yeah, I'll do it. And then he emailed me. He goes, you know what? He goes, I'm just not, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm really sorry. I'm just not good at this kind of stuff. You know, I hope you understand. I hope you're not mad. But I sent him a message back. And I said, listen, Chris. I don't want you to come on the show if you don't feel like you're going to do a good job because it's not worth it to me or you. Then he goes, 
you know what? I'll do it. And he was an amazing guest. I'm like, dude, you got to do these more often because he was just so good. And he's had such a great career. And so that's the cool stuff. You know, that's, that's what keeps you around. You know, it's like the guests, I always say, you know what? And of course, we don't know what they're, what's going on in their life. I've learned that. You know that people get busy. I mean, mm. you know, I had to cancel a show my first 10 years ago because I was uh, in the hospital. So mm. I couldn't do it from there, you know? That, that's because I mean, the thing is, like you like you just said, I don't. If somebody, I had a couple. There's a, there's a couple people that I know personally that kind of started to climb up the ladder a little bit and get a little something going, right? I don't want to get any more specific than that, but they they climbed up the ladder, and uh, you know they were very polite, but they blew me off. Meanwhile, people further up the ladder than them were like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I you, you know, know I sit there. I, I had someone was like giving me a hard time. It was a comic, mm-hmm. and I was like, he's like, well, how many listeners you got? And I was like, I don't need this shit. Now I look back, I'm like, you're still doing the same fucking gigs, and I'm I'm interviewing Rock and Roll Hall. I'm interviewing Little Steven. So it's like, you know, just yeah, it's like, well, you know, and it's funny. Adam McKay was going to do my show, and Adam said mm-hmm. he sent me a message back on Facebook a few years ago. And he said, listen, I'm only going to do it because you were so nice to me when we were doing comedy and you used to look out for me and a friend of mine uh, does video assistance sets and he worked on a TV show with Adam and I said go mm-hmm. tell McKay I said hi and he's like you know and you know in Hollywood everyone knows everybody but they don't mm-hmm. and he goes you, you know I'm not gonna look an idiot I said no so he goes up to McKay he goes hey my friend uh, Steve Cooper's oh my god I used to go to car I used to go to shows with Cooper and his Fiero and uh, and but then something came up with Adam and I haven't been getting him get in touch with him since then i understand because he's also like producing everything in hollywood and that's you know but he was cool about it and that's what's cool you know that's when you get the people who are like you know or when you want to watch tv and I'll, I'll send someone a message and i'll go hey i just you know I'm, i really i like your work here has been on my show and uh, because i've become friends on facebook with a lot of these people because we have mm-hmm. because i've had so many actors we have mutual friends so they accept your friendship and a lot of them are just like oh yeah i'd love to you know i'd love to do it and then it's like, as you said, it's the smaller ones who are like, oh, I don't know. And it's like, well, you know what? I don't want you anyway. You look back and you go, thank God the person doesn't deserve to be on my show. I, I still I still remember uh, asking someone, the guy goes, yeah, how many uh, downloads do you get? And I started laughing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I started laughing at him. I was like, really? Let me, you know? let me tell you something about downloads. Downloads. <laughs> I have never downloaded a podcast in my life. You know, I sit there, mm. I push everybody to my site, coopertalk.net. That's mm. where, because I like that, because if you go on to, you know, I'm on Amazon Music, I'm on iHeart, I'm all that shit. If you go on that, you can't mm. see who the person is. So if you go to my website, I, I write coopertalk.net. No, uh, I write uh, I write a bio and I have their picture. And, you know, and you sit there and you think, oh, I'm not getting downloads. Well, for some reason, we're, I think we're both on Podbean on one format. I think then you're on Anchor mm-hmm. on another. Well, Podbean sends your stuff to YouTube. Well, I never get views. I get maybe like two views because I don't I need to know what's going on there. Well, then I interviewed Huey Lewis in the news, the guitarist. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, like, I'm getting these notifications on YouTube. And I got a, I have a thousand views of it and mm-hmm. a bunch of comments. But that doesn't show up in, in the download. Podbean mm-hmm. used to sit there and give you how many hits you got. And that's how I listen. That's how people listen to podcasts. I don't download podcasts. I don't want to. I, don't, I just, I'll pop it on and I'll listen to it. So the numbers are so skewed. That's when people say that. Luckily, you know, I'm on Indie100.com and uh, um, NWZC.com out of Seattle. I have a station out of um, 
uh, Canada, out of Montreal. So I get listens on there, but they don't go on my downloads, you know? Nope. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's funny. I was I was on this one thing called the 405 Media. I guess it's like this right wing conservative uh, <laughs> uh, station. But they, the guy said everyone likes my show because I don't talk about politics. I talk about actors. But when I started playing on there, also I got like all these crazy uh, right wing people like following me on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I, and I figured out, oh, it's on this it's on this show. It's on this station. Yeah, it, it's it, that's the funny thing is you you don't know who's listening, um, you know, because because like we're all like especially people like you and me who've been around since 1903, uh, right on the podcasting tip. Um, like you said, Amazon Music. There there was some stuff I was on. I didn't. I remember somebody somebody sent me some stuff. You should try to get on Amazon. And I was like, yeah, I should try to get on Amazon. I was already on the I damn am, thing. I'm on Audible. I'm on I'm, same thing. I'm on yeah. sites like. I, lo- I was looking for something. I Googled Alan Ruck Cooper talks. I wanted to get a picture. And Alan Ruck is, he played Cameron on uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I found out there's some websites, like the top 10 interviews with Alan Ruck. And I'm like, what? And I'm on that. And then there's like these weird websites, like these pod, <laughs> these, these like podshoot.us or something. And you're like, I don't know how people get on it. I don't care. I mean, you know, it's not like we're making a lot of money off this shit because we aren't because everyone's just like comedy. People will, instead of getting a sponsor, they'll, you can give the sponsors will sit there and give some kid energy drinks and they'll go, okay, oh, I got a sponsor. I got an energy drink sponsor. What do they pay you? A can of energy drink. No, I mean, that's not a sponsor. <laughs> they probably drank out of it first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kid, finish this. Uh, but isn't that, isn't that the weirdest thing when you, you look up yourself, you look up yourself to see what the situation is? And you, I, I, and you, like you just said, you're like, what the hell is this that I'm on? Because if you look at your, if you look at your analytics, it'll say other. Because yeah. even, even the pod player, I'm going, who? And, then, and they're like, oh, where are all these, all these listens come? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's other. And you're like, what the hell is other? Yeah. And it's, it's so <laughs> weird. I don't, I don't even pay, I don't even check my numbers. I know what I get. I don't, the, look, the one, I don't the, pay attention at the all. The one, uh, indie100.com, I think I get. 9,000 listens an episode and then that's more than most people. And then I get whatever I get. And, uh, so I always, that's what I do now when I send a query letter, I always, I say, this is, I'm on these stations and if they want numbers, I tell them I get, you know, honestly, between the different, all the different medians, I probably get 12 to 15,000 listens an episode, some mm-hmm. less. And then I tell them, uh, and also select, I always say select episodes go to the Hamilton Gazette, which is always cool. Cause that also gives you a different angle when you're trying to get, especially musicians, you know, a lot of them like, oh, is it tour support? Well, I know every act that's going to be coming into Atlantic City, I'm going to hit their PR people up a month before and say, hey, I can get you press, you know, before the show, and then I'll try to get free tickets because, you know, you always have to try to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, they send, and then people send you books and... <laughs> I don't even read them. I have like so many books. I feel bad. I don't, I tell them not to send me the book. Uh, I, I get, cause of music, I get a lot of CD, uh, not CDs. I get a lot of links to stuff, but then I'm like, I, I have Amazon music unlimited. I already have it. I tell them to save it. I don't, you know, and I'll be honest, you know, Larry King. So he said he never read the book before they came out. Cause he wanted to be fresh. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Just like music, you know, a lot of like, the acts I get are '80s music, you know, or you know, or classic rock. Well, no one really cares about the new music now. I don't want to listen to it. I want to talk about the old stuff, man. That's why you're on my show. Yeah, I got this album called. Yeah, no one cares. Let's exactly. talk about you. I want to hear about the one you want the Grammy. Dennis, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis DeYoung from Sticks was like, yeah, 
I go, are you going to play the new song off your new album with the concert? He goes, no. He goes, I only play <laughs> one song. He goes, if I went in and started playing my whole new album, people would go, what the hell is this shit? And they'd leave. And I'd never get booked again. And that's the guy who was in Sticks, has written top, you know, top 10 mm-hmm. songs. But he said it. He said, people don't want to hear my new stuff. They want to hear Come Sell Away and Mr. Roboto and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I've done them. And he goes, and he goes, it irritates me when artists go, oh, I can't play that song anymore. He's like, well, that's part of someone's life. That's why they're coming to see you. That's why they're called fans. You play it and you shut up. Yeah, that's a, that's a fan. <laughs> and I always crack me up, you know, and that which is a weird thing for comics because, you know, unless you're Rodney Dangerfield, who obviously was a prolific writer, they still want to hear new stuff. Because <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. It's a different. You know? yeah. it's like, unless you're dice with like the, the, the nursery rhymes. But that became that, that became that became that became a world of its own. You know, dice his whole thing that was I mean he wasn't he was like a rock star. You know, he was past mm-hmm. the comic level. You know, he was a rock star. Yeah. Well let me let me ask you this, because like uh, if I went back to Fierro Boy, uh <laughs> Earring Man Fierro Boy, uh, four hundred sixteen years ago, and I said, you know, uh, Coop, you know, uh, you're gonna be a talk show host. You know that, right? You're gonna be a talk show host. And you're gonna do it for a long time. What would that guy say? <laughs> That's what I'm curious about. Back then, you know, honestly, back then I just wanted to be a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I just wanted to be a comic because I loved comedy, and you know, it wasn't even a concept of interviewing people. And you, mm-hmm. you know, you learn as you as you get in your age you know i don't i don't need to be the center of attention man you know i like that's what my tagline is i'm only as hip as my guests because then it's all off me it's on them they better be cool and i like it you know i i enjoy hearing stories and and, and i'm you probably think the same way you know mm-hmm. when, when someone says oh man that's a great question i love that i'm like oh, yeah. i'm doing something right man you know i'm doing something right and and by the way, this is a great question. Uh, so, uh, but no, I sit there and it's like, I would never. And, and the thing also is, I'll be honest, Steve, I would have never thought I'd be interviewing the people I did. You know, I mean, I interviewed Santa Santiago from Miami Vice. I love Miami Vice. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh my God. I just interviewed, I love the band, The English Beat. I could have get Dave Wakeling's the nicest guy. We talked for an hour and a half. And, you know, that kid with the long hair would have never thought there would never said he'd become friends with Rich Scheider. You know, mm-hmm. I would never have thought that. I mean, Scheider did my show. He did your show too. And Scheider is amazing. But mm-hmm. after he did my show, he did it another time. He came to my Super Bowl party in LA. I said, I just threw it on a Pennsville and had lunch with him. And um, I would have never thought that. And that's the mm-hmm. thing. You know, looking back, we thought we were comics. We thought maybe we'd be stars and we all wanted to be a star. But, mm-hmm. but I, I never in my wildest dreams, Thought, would think I'd done 865 interviews that, that I posted and interviewed the people. I never would have thought it. And, and that's so cool when I look back. And, I, and that humbles me that people will sit there and take the time and like actors will recommend another actor to me. And then all of a sudden I'll get a message from an actor that's on TV. Uh, Joanne is always like, oh my God, you know, like Eric Palladino or, or Sergeant Patrick Fabian's on TV. And it's just, uh, yeah, and that, that I would have never, I would never, th- I would have never thought that if someone said to me back then, 
you'll be bald, your eye will get lazier, and you'll be interviewing celebrities. I would have said, nah, man, I'm going to have a full head of hair, straight eyes, and I'll be doing the chuckle hut in Sheboygan. Well, uh, I'll be honest with you. If they went back, if I went back in time and asked me, I would have said, well, he's going to go bald. His eyes going to get lazier, but I don't know about the talk show thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's true. You're like, we know, we know. <laughs> but, but that's, but that's, it, that's, that's a weird thing. And you, what you're saying, it, it really kind of struck me too, because I remember talking to somebody, I was in my forties at the time. Good Lord. I just realized I just referenced the 40. I was in my 40s and that was 10 years ago. Um, I was in my 40s at the time. And I remember, no, no, no. I was actually earlier than that. I was, yeah, it was earlier than that. Sorry, I, I've referenced it again in my 40s. I remember seeing somebody and you you probably, you might've felt the same way. When you would see Axe in Vegas and you go, man, I'm too cool for that. And go hang out in Las Vegas. What is this bull? And then I found that how much money some of these people are getting for residencies. Oh yeah, dude. In Las Vegas. Good God, man. Oh yeah. I, um, I, I can't, I saw a, uh, oh, I saw a, a thing on Netflix about, uh, boys to men and how, you know, they did a residency in Vegas. They're like, we're not going to do Vegas. And they're like, Oh, you know what? You know, cause they were on the downswing from their career after being mm-hmm. the biggest thing around and they did it. And they're like, it's great. And that, you're right. You get, you do your show. A lot of times they, they, the, you know, you do a show and people are all there to see you and they pay extra money to get that VIP experience and you're rolling hand over fist and you're like, why not, man? You sit there, you do one show a night and you make bank and you, you do five shows, you know, five shows a week and you're making more money in that week than you're probably making a month doing stand up back in the day, even at the top of your game. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's all, you get older and you go, you know what? It's in your blood and it doesn't make a difference as long as people, as long as people appreciate you, as long as people enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't make a difference where you do it. I interview, I've talked to actors who are like, you know what? We, I could, I would, I wouldn't care if I was homeless, if I was, if I, if I got an occasional acting gig, cause that's what, that's what's in my soul. I, 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 the thing that got to me was, I don't know how accurate this was, but there was a comic I, I had forgotten about. And I, I, you know, YouTube, I'm just watching some stuff on YouTube. I'm eating the Sam. So let me watch some YouTube before I go knock this sandwich down and go about business. And I don't know how I got into this jag of watching this comic. And they, this person kept popping up again and again. And I was like, you know what? I haven't heard from this cat in a while. Okay. I'm going to say Eric Carrot Top. And, uh, and I was watching some of those old Carrot Top videos. I'm like, okay. You know, it's like the, the national version of Wid. Okay. And then, I was looking at what they said he made a year yeah. in Las Vegas. And I'm going, $13 million? Yeah, and he lives, he lives in like the uh, penthouse of one of the casinos for free. And I'm saying, no, ask yourself a question. What do you think would happen if you said to Joanne, listen, um, Cooper Talk is even blowing up bigger than it is already. Um, they want me to do my uh, show live from Las Vegas for $13 million a year. <laughs> Oh, hell. I, I go there during the week. <laughs> Come back on the weekends. It's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's just it's just the most amazing thing in the world that because we people are so focused on billionaires. That's the new benchmark. So everybody looks at those people. But you don't realize there are people that are not household names, but have a cult following and they can literally sit back and clock down 
four to ten million dollars a year every year like clockwork just yeah. boom boom and boom how boom. much do you need man you know it's like seriously as you get older you notice that too how much you need unless i mean i don't we don't have kids me no neither me or joy have kids so i don't have kids to uh to um leave money to so it's like how much do i need you know and that's what people do and they and if you're doing it, it doesn't make a difference i mean i remember when you know when, when we were doing weekends at the comedy factory out like getting 50 a set you're making mm-hmm. 150 bucks on a weekend or, and, and that was the best thing ever you know you didn't care you didn't care what you were you know as long as your bills were covered and that's of course it's simple when you get older but mm. that was that's the way it was and just remember, adjusted for inflation, young audience. Oh, yeah. Uh, in today's money, that's a $9,314. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing back then. It's nothing now. <laughs> no, but the thing was, remember, I, I, like I said, I was a kid. I, the people were working at McDonald's for 75 bucks. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I, can get, I can get that at the fun house and talk for 20 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> they go next door to get pierogies. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to I I ask you a couple more things before I let you go, okay? Um, now... I'm curious because you you got just to get started in radio, moving on to podcasting. You know, I want to hear about that. I mean, how, how did you even slide into the radio, and then how did the radio turn into podcasting? Well, it, it was internet radio, and uh, I was I had a business job. I was a, a an event planner, marketing guy for a microbrewing in Burbank. And I met a guy who ran at Indie100.com at a uh, chamber of commerce event, and um, everyone's like, "Cool, would be great." He used to do comedy. He'd be great host. So that's when I said to the guy, let's check it out. He goes, all right. And I went in and I just had to play half music and half guests. I started getting guests. I had Tompkins in the beginning, Chris Mancini, John Matta. I even had Mark Marin in the beginning. I know mm-hmm. I had Blaine Kapash. And, and then I just, you know, we started getting listeners. And then the station closed. It just said mm-hmm. they, they weren't making money, you know? And so I said, well, I want to keep doing this. I like this. So I bought a Zoom HN4 microphone mm-hmm. and would do them over Skype. And I had Podbean, so I just put it on my website. And then it just went from there. And when I moved back east, I just kept doing it. And as you said, there's so many medians, you know, Amazon, all that stuff. You're on all that stuff. Um, and then I said, I'm going to hit some internet. So I, hit, I sent out Indie 100 started going again, but as remote, you know, they're on the mm-hmm. studio so that I could send them my files. I just started doing that and it just, it grew. And as I said, it's, 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 I have a great hobby, man. I, you know, I mean, I, and, and I, I'm bummed, you know, before the pandemic, you know, I would get awesome concert tickets and backstage passes. And I would take friends of mine. Cause you know, you know, you would know this as much as I do. We, we've been around celebrities, so it doesn't impress us, but for a lot of people, they never have. So I remember I went to see Gary Kemp, who's in Spandau Ballet. He wrote the song mm-hmm. True. Well, he was also the guitarist for Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, his mm-hmm. thing. So Gary was at the Met. And I interviewed him the week before. And I said, if you're ever in Philly, I want to come meet you. And he goes, I'll send my assistant a message. I got you covered next week. Well, a guy I've known since first grade loves Pink Floyd. Mark Esposito, I've known since first grade. And I said, hey, dude, you want to go see Nick Mason? He goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, all right. So we go, because where are we sitting? And I said, I don't know. He goes, what do you mean? I don't know. I said, I got to get the tickets. So we get the tickets, and they give you that backstage pass, this thing. What's this? I just put on your shirt and shut up. And after the show, you know, we go, and we're, we're waiting. There's six of us go up the elevator and meet Gary, but we're meeting Nick Mason. And Nick Mason's there with a glass of wine. And my buddy's like, holy shit, it's Nick Mason. And I said, get a picture with him. Just ask him. So it's, you know, that's, that's one of the perks. And I get friends of mine who aren't used to it. They love it. 
and and it's cool you know and uh it just that's it, how it all happened I, <laughs> I, just, I just get a kick out of this whole thing because it's, it's just one of those things where it, i just remember the conference like you, you referenced uh early on nicks when we would go to nicks after the show yeah. and i just said that I, there's two things i think about those conversations especially when there was a lot of us there one how funny would those conversations be if we had a microphone recording those oh, damn things? Oh God, yeah, because no, <laughs> no one cared. What's well, funny, you know, I was watching that doc. Where I heard about the boys and men. I watched a documentary called "This Is Pop" on Netflix, and mm -hmm. they had a one video where they're walking through Philly, and it was a shot of a uh, Dickens Inn that used to be on down near South Street. And I used to go drink beers mm -hmm. there with uh, Adam McKay and a guy named Bill Ron who was an mm -hmm. accountant who wanted to do comedy. And I was just like, wow, that place closed. But yeah, there used to be the after show where we go with the late Jimmy Little to uh, that cheesesteak place, Rockies or whatever. <laughs> and I remember yeah. I saw there was like these, these two bachelorette parties fighting and they all had like <laughs> big hair and spandex pants. And Jimmy, Jimmy was eating his cheesesteak in glory, watching it like, oh, this is great. Okay, guys, guys, come over here, come over here, don't order. But yeah, it was just it was, it was a different time, and yeah, we would just hang out, or we go to South Street Diner, and it was, oh, it, God, was yeah. it was great, and it was because it was, you know, it was it was all different cultures colliding. There's you know me, a, a preppy kid from South Jersey, you from a rough neighborhood of Philly, Big Nick, you know, four hundred pound man who sells hubcaps, <laughs> Fred Novak, you know, literally insane, Chuck Carmen, a biker, Doherty, John Doc, a lawyer, you know. And we would just hang out. We would shoot the shit. And, and, mm. and it was fun. And, and no one got offended. And we even Pernell Tucker would show up. And, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> so it was it was uh, it was a different time. But it was it was great. I mean, yeah, you're right. We had taped that shit. It was gold. And, you know, we just well, we were just having fun. We we're all doing we we're all doing what we loved. And there was nothing. It didn't make a difference. If, you know, like if we weren't making money, you know, if we'd go on that stage that night and you had mm. a good set. That's what counted. What was hilarious? I know what I'm thinking when I think back on it. First, I did a, a routine on my other podcast about us going into the diner because I was walking ahead of everybody and I looked at the waitress and she saw me, Chuck, Big Nick, you, and we had a bunch of dudes. And I'm, the look of horror on this woman's face. <laughs> and the funny thing, all of us were very polite and mattered, except Novak after a few martinis. <laughs> and the funny thing was, like, we, we and that's the thing it's like they was she i mean they were looking at us like are we they, they thought they remember that movie the history of violence you ever seen that yeah they were probably expecting that yeah so <laughs> they, they probably thought we were going to kill him and eat him and uh <laughs> right but we like you said we came in we, we're just a bunch of nice guys i mean they they, they well they, i don't think they were afraid of me and you let's be honest right but uh they saw they saw chuck nick and fred they were like we're dead and uh <laughs> right but the thing was, as they as they would come to you know over time, one, they weren't that busy when we would show up. Two, we ate and we tipped well. And right. three, we were nice dudes. But it was just really funny. But here's the thing I was getting to. They would, they would there's one of two things would have happened had we recorded those conversations and they got out to the public. One, people would have thought they were as hilarious as we did. Or two, we would all have our careers destroyed. Oh yeah, We'd because all be back then, <laughs> we know we 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 all be canceled. That was the thing, <laughs> and, and and that's what I always crack up. There was no boundaries, you know. But we weren't we were friends with each other. There was no there was no mean intent. 
Oh, you know, man. I mean, Cornell Tucker used to call me a clam chowder eating Docker wearing <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was a different time. But you know, it, it, it's something that you know when you look back at it, you know, we, we we are lucky enough to say that you know a lot of people didn't get to experience that. You know, I know people who, you know, when I was in LA interviewing people, and or even now when I interview people, I know people who are millionaires who would trade their high pressure jobs, whatever to have a hobby, like like interviewing celebrities. Like, you know, I do business. I have a business development job. And people mm. are like, they're all like, oh my God, I heard you this pipe. Oh my God, you talk to this person. And that's the thing. We have that part of us and, and, and we're a small percentage, whether it be comics or musicians or actors who actually know what it was like to have that community where everyone was behind, you know, each other. And it was just fun. And, you know, we were blessed for that. And, you know, I mean, it's a matter of, so many people never knew, no, no, know what it's like to sit there and hang out with someone in a diner and just bullshit about nothing when they're six years. It's like, it's like in Broadway, Danny Rose, when they're all hanging out and they're talking, you know, and it's just, that's the way it was. And it's, and it still goes on to, to this day. I still, I still remember being on stage with y'all in the back of the room. I was doing a set and everybody was going, and, and I couldn't, you were trying to signal to me. Uh, whether you were going to Nick's or the diner. And I forgot how it was, but it was like, I kind of, it was like left-hand Nick's, right-hand yeah. McDonald's, right? And I just put my, I just kind of motioned with my, my right hand and rubbed my head. And everybody knew that's, that's when I knew that's where we were going. You were going to, to uh, the South Street Diner. So I'm on stage and I'm, and I'm on stage doing my act and I'm thinking, let's get this shit over with so I can get to the diner. <laughs> exactly. It was, it, was, it was the time, man. It was fun. <laughs> you know, uh, that was, that was, that was some good stuff. Uh, uh, man, we have come to the end of today's episode, my brother. I'm glad to have you, have you on, Grandpa. It's great to be on here, Steve. It's always good to talk to you. You know, so we do have to get together because we're right across the bridge, and I don't know if we're gonna go to a close down again. But before <laughs> you know, we have to hook up because um, I love taking the speed line. I love going to Philly. You know, I still I love Philly, and it's it's something that you know I don't get in there enough, and because of the, as I said that we've been shut down for so long until we reopen i've only been to philly like i think i was at the christmas village and uh that's just tradition because me and joanne went there after we got engaged and yeah i miss philly philly's a great great time and we definitely got to go to because yeah, like we spent a lot of our formative years at well we're both adults at that time but young adults formative young adult years in center city you know, just milling around down there. Second, th- well, actually, you can't go down to second and third because all condos and bullshit down there. But uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool to go down there and then, you know, just because I, j- I just was in, the, I just went down there to hang out with some re- some relatives. Uh, we we went to eat at the uh, Red Owl Tavern, I think it's called something like that, and it was kind of cool. So I guess we we should we should probably do something like that. That way we can. Yeah, you mean get a you good need a running terminal, man? There's so much shit going on. There's so many places over there. Oh, you haven't been there in a million years. I got to, yeah, I, that would, you got to do that. That, yeah. You can even call good. Brett Harrison. You know what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Brett. Yeah. Yeah. I like Brett. Okay, yeah. That'd okay. be kind of cool. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I was going to go down there. I, for a comic I know uh, from New York, Jimmy Delavalla was in town a mm-hmm. while back and I met half with him and, and Jimmy Schubert was in town and Jimmy's going to go, but he's like, ah, go, go. I, I had a late show last night, Cooper. I can't, I can't get out. I'm, I'm Jimmy Schubert. I can't, I, I can't get out, Cooper. And, uh, but yeah, it's always good. You meet up with people in Philly and you just, or you just find a shitty little, or we go to the next roast beef down on, uh, Rainier Comedy Factory Alley or the one down on South Street, like the good old days. 
That would be, man, just imagine, is the South Street Diner still there? I don't even know, dude. I, South Street's <laughs> completely different. Everything closed. <laughs> I haven't been down there in, in 415 years. But it would be kind of hilarious if Nick's roast beef or, or Nick's or something similar to Nick's was in the same place. That would be fun. It is. Just to, I heard it is. Oh, they, that's it. All right. We'll, we'll set this up, bro. That's the move. Coop, much appreciated. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to link your uh, your 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 website is basically the one stop shop for everything you want people to know about. Correct? Talk.net, Twitter's at Cooper Talk. Okay, I'll put them both in the, into the into the into the into the notes. All right, man. All right, my brother. Thank you for coming on, my brother. I appreciate Thank it. You, Good talking to you again, night, Stephen. Thanks. I'll take care, my brother. Right, hey, take care. All right, now that was fun, wasn't it? Told you, what did I tell you? Have I failed you yet? No. Will I fail you? Also, no. <laughs> Thanks again for all your support. Much love to everybody, and I'll see you again next time. Take care. <laughs>